All right, welcome everybody to uh, another installment of the Kuiper Collective Podcast. Uh, my name is Dan Cruzy, uh, Professor of Biblical Studies here at Kuiper College, and I'm here with uh, Dr. Branson Parler, uh, Professor of Theological Studies uh, here at Kuiper. And uh, uh, we just want to sit down and talk a little bit about Bible, theology, other things, uh, and then hope that you find this interesting. Uh, but maybe before we get into our topic for today, maybe we can just kind of uh, set the scene a little bit and introduce Branson, uh, my good friend. Uh, so Branson, I understand you're you're somewhat of a football fan, That's uh, right. and 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 uh, and, and you, and you kind of like the Kansas City Chiefs. That's right. So I'm just wondering, how did how did you become a Kansas City Chiefs fan of all things? Yeah. Uh, now living in Michigan. Yeah. Well, it's a it's you know it's kind of a it's an interesting story. I grew up in Iowa, and so we don't have any uh, NFL teams of our own. And so plenty of people went for, uh, you know, the Vikings or the Bears or the Packers, uh, you know, somewhat, somewhat close. Um, but I opted to go south for Kansas City. Uh, and that was, it, now partly, uh, my siblings have geographical names. Uh, so I don't know if you know this, but I have a brother Denver and a brother yeah. Dallas. Yeah. So they all had yeah. their own teams. Um, I, I, I have Branson, Missouri, yeah. uh, capital <laughs> of old country music stars. Uh, but so I thought, you know, Kansas City is the closest closest thing I got. Uh, and at that time, you know, this was about 1990, 91, when I was really following closely. They had a star running back named Christian Okoye, and yeah. they were yeah. they were halfway decent. They were competitive, and uh, so I thought, hey, I'll be a Chiefs fan. Yeah. Well, the Chiefs are more than competitive now. The That's Chiefs right. are actually pretty good. That's right. And have their sights set on the Super Bowl, but they do have a big game this week. That's right. Uh, for those of us living in Michigan, uh, many of us are Lions fans, and so Kansas City is actually coming to Michigan this week to Detroit. So uh, I just wondered if you had any kind of insider prediction on on what might happen Sunday in the game. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> two two undefeated teams. The Lions are undefeated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. There was a big philosophical discussion about that the other day on ESPN Radio about yeah. whether you could call them undefeated, and yeah. <laughs> they haven't lost. They have tied, uh, but they haven't lost, so they're undefeated. Um, I'm, you know, I, I kind of want it to be a competitive game, but yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm thinking probably something in the ballpark of like 42 to 17, okay. 42 yeah. to 17. That, that sounds that about sounds, right. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, in the Chiefs' favor. In the Chiefs' favor. <laughs> obviously it's, you know, I, I don't know. It's the Lions, so they might hit 50. You never know. You never yeah. know, uh. Who's going to show up for the Lions? Yeah. So, yeah. so we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a fun game. All right. Yeah. Well, good stuff. It's always fun to follow those things and and to see what happens. And yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we want to kind of just uh, talk about something that's just uh, maybe important to the Christian community and around the topic of uh, sexuality, gender, marriage, uh, something called polyamory. Yeah. Uh, and maybe. Maybe maybe folks are are just sort of happily unaware of this topic, or or maybe as Christians hear about this, they think, well, well, what is that? And that doesn't sound right, and I'm just against it. Yeah. So I know that Branson, you've done a lot of work and writing around this topic of uh, family, marriage, sexuality, gender, uh, including uh, authoring the uh, uh, the Great Lakes Catechism. Yeah. 
on human sexuality and marriage. Yeah. Uh, and then also writing some articles for the Center for Faith and Sexuality and Gender. So you've got some some background in this and some expertise. So just want to kind of talk about this a little bit with you and get your perspective and just see how this fits into, you know, uh, the Bible uh, and a Christian's perspective on, on on polyamory. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe just to start, I mean, just what is polyamory? Maybe folks haven't even heard of it. What is it? Uh, and how does it fit into the whole discussion of, you know, sexuality and gender and all that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate the question, and uh, this is something that I, uh, even up to a couple years ago, was not really aware of, uh, discussions on polyamory and, and even what that was. And so I think uh, the, the best way to understand what polyamory is, is uh, to simply, if you break it down, poly, many, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and amory, loves. So yeah. many loves. And so the idea here is uh, really a contrast to uh, any notion of monogamy that says, you know, it, even in cases where somebody is not actually married, there's this ideal of there's one other person, there's one other person that you are romantically, relationally, sexually yeah. connected to. Yeah. Uh, polyamory really questions that and says, well, yeah. you know, maybe that's good for some people, uh, but yeah. maybe there are others who uh, can get along just fine in, in a romantic relationship with, with multiple people. Uh, and uh, th that we shouldn't really confine people uh, to one category. Uh, we shouldn't say, well, monogamy is the only category, and if, if you don't fit into that, then you're, you know, you're committing adultery or you're being unfaithful. Uh, you know, that, yeah. that, that, that polyamorous folks would say, well, well, why should that be? Maybe there's a whole yeah. other framework uh, to, to look, at, to look yeah. at this through. Um, and it's not, you know, as you said, um, this is something maybe that a lot of people haven't heard of, but it's, it's actually pretty common and growing in popularity okay. in our culture. All right. uh, so in terms of you know, the number of, there was a survey a couple years ago that looked at the number of people who are in non-monogamous relationships like this, and, yeah. uh, and it was about 5% uh, about of people uh, were in these kinds of relationships. And so actually pretty equivalent to the number of people who would identify as LGBT. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, this is not a, it's not a small or insignificant uh, number. Uh, and another sociologist did a study and actually found that uh, about 24% of church-going people uh, were okay with this, that, that they looked at this as being uh, you know, one possible lifestyle, one possible way to set up your relationships. Um, and so that, that's a pretty significant yeah. number, not yeah, necessarily that they were in these relationships, but, the, but they, they looked at them and essentially said, um, yeah, if, that, if that's what works for you, if that's what, how you experience human flourishing in your own life and, and you have that desire to have multiple yeah. relationships and partners in that way then yeah. then that's okay um, yeah. yeah that's interesting yeah yeah and so it's going be surprising yeah 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 I think and I think um, you know part part of what Christians have to wrestle with is um, I, I can't remember who I think it was Russell Moore who said this that, yeah. that basically uh, you have the sexual revolution in the broader culture yeah. and the church is just experiences sort of a slower moving sexual revolution. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so you have, it, so in one sense it shouldn't be surprising to us that um, that this should be something that a lot of Christians will look at and say, well, I don't really yeah. see anything 
see anything wrong with that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think, you know, to, to really understand polyamory, it's it's important to get, and, and I'm afraid that a lot of people maybe have a stereotype of what this is, that, that this is primarily about sex or it's about people who just want to sleep yeah. around with multiple people. Yeah. Um, especially advocates of polyamory, you know, I think it's really important that we engage respectfully, that we yeah. listen to people, that we understand how they themselves would describe polyamory and, yeah. and what that is. And so, uh, for a lot of a lot of those people in polyamorous relationships, their you know their understanding of this is like you know I, I want to grow as a person so that I can be in relationships and and that you know I shouldn't be experiencing jealousy I shouldn't be kind of restrictive on on the expectations yeah. I would place on other people uh, and so for a lot of poly people there's really actually this deeper level of growth and even a certain level of spirituality that you know that there's this that, that what they're doing is actually expanding their capacity to love yeah. uh, as they care for people this is you know and so I want to be very clear this is not just about people like I said who are I just want to sleep around with somebody or I just I don't want to be confined uh, that uh, for folks who are engaging in this uh, at least some those who are doing it with this kind of higher level of intentionality there really yeah. is that there really is that focus yeah. Um, yeah. that you know if if receiving and giving love from one person is great well how much more with two yeah. or three people sure. and, yeah. and and that's I mean that that that's how it's understood yeah um, so this you think maybe this is a this is a conversation that the church and Christians really need to get out ahead of yeah and that we've sort of been behind sometimes in some of these other discussions and same-sex marriage and LGBT and and this is something maybe that the church needs to you know just to articulate get ahead of uh, and say something about yeah 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 I, th I think so because I think you know especially the last four or five years as I've really gotten more into the conversation and research around yeah. issues of marriage and sexuality all these things yeah. I mean I think it's it's I think most Christians would recognize yeah we have not done a good job uh, of having the conversation well of of, of caring well for LGBT plus yeah. uh, Christians. Uh, not to mention our posture in the broader culture, yeah. uh, and so seeing that this again, we're kind of, especially the last ten years, if you're paying attention, you see more and more kind of mainstream discussion of polyamory. And so, if the church isn't ready for this, if we're not ready yeah. to have these conversations, yeah. we shouldn't be surprised if again we're kind of overtaken, yeah. and then we then we're having to play catch up and say, well, what do we really think about this, and yeah. how should we engage sure. with with people in polyamorous relationships, and so. Yeah. I think it's really important for us to be wrestling with it, not just to be in reactive yeah. mode, yeah. but to actually articulate yeah. our, a biblical view of sexuality, to start yeah. thinking about, well, we just take monogamy for granted. Does the Bible teach that or not? And how do, how yeah. do we understand that? Yeah, yeah, well, that's good. Uh, so you mentioned that there's even uh, a, a good percentage of Christians who might think this is permissible, though it's not for them. Yeah. And there are other Christians who actually make a case for polyamory from the Bible. Yeah. Strangely, or or it's what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, for example, they'll cite uh, examples of non-monogamous relationships in the Old Testament, such as polygamy. Right. Or maybe say that you know, hey, the the thrust of the Bible is love. So who can be against love? Yeah. Or even to the point where you know, they they cite you know sort of Trinitarian language. Yeah. That maybe maybe Father, Son, and Spirit maybe maybe the best uh, you know sort of example of that is not monogamy but maybe polyamorous relationships. So what are some of those arguments and how might 
how might you know Christians or you respond to those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. And um, uh, let me just put a plug in for uh, the pastoral paper that I wrote on this. If you're mm-hmm. interested in uh, reading uh, sort of full in-depth engagement with these things, if you go to uh, centerforfaith.com/resources. Uh, there's a pastoral paper on there. Uh, scroll down. You can download it. It's on uh, the Bible, polyamory, and monogamy. Yeah. And so this is where uh, this discussion is kind of growing out of uh, some of those issues that are uh, uh, ar- that arise in there. And so yeah. if you want to dig in more, you can you can go there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are Christians who are making the case saying the Bible actually allows for, maybe even approves of uh, yeah. polyamory. And uh, one of the most common uh, common reasons given is this idea that well even in the Bible you have examples of non-monogamy and so when you go to the Old Testament now advocates of polyamory want to be very clear for the most part they don't like polygamy yeah because yeah. they uh, primarily because in these examples it's one man and multiple women yeah. uh, and so Polyamory is not that, yeah. but nevertheless, polygamy is an example of non-monogamy. And so they look at the Old Testament texts and different examples of uh, non-monogamy and, and say, well, look, uh, this seems to be allowed for. It seems to be at least a possibility. Yeah. And so if this is something that uh, the Old Testament allows for, if you have, and again, some major... Uh, you know, major figures in the Old Testament. These yeah. are minor people. It's, yeah. you know, it's King David, yeah. uh, you have yeah. Solomon, although some people yeah. shy away from him because he's kind of an yeah, extreme example. Yeah, that's uh, probably taking it to an extreme. Um, yeah. uh, but nevertheless, again, you have, uh, again, you have Jacob, uh, and so you know, Israel, the father of, yeah. of the nation, yeah, this, this comes about through non-monogamy. And so, you know, part, part of what we're wrestling here with is how do you interpret scripture as a whole? Yeah. Because one of the claims yeah. that I see people making uh, when they point to those examples is, you know, they'll say something like, well, you know, the Bible doesn't really, there's not really a singular biblical view of marriage. Yeah. There are mm-hmm. a whole variety of texts, a variety of examples. And so, mm-hmm. you know, what these texts are showing is, is that um, this is a possibility. Yeah. Uh, and so, they, they look to those examples as being uh, a central part of, uh, of their case that, look, yeah. that this is yeah. allowable. Um, now, when we start talking about those, I think one of the most important things to recognize when you're interpreting Scripture is just because you have an example of a person doing something uh, does not mean that this is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, it, not all examples are positive. Uh, and so, you know, this is this is something we do in biblical interpretation, Bible yeah. 101. Uh, just because you see instances of something in Scripture uh, doesn't mean that you should follow it. That you have to be able to place these within the overarching context yeah. of Scripture. Yeah. Uh, and so, I think part of this actually digs deeper into people's uh, assumptions about Scripture. Uh, and so, the idea that Scripture is... Uh, authoritative, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that, that there is a fundamental unity to what Scripture teaches, even while recognizing diversity of authors, diversity mm-hmm. of times and places, recognizing the complexity of interpretation. Um, several advocates for polyamory, I think, are operating with the assumption that, 
you know, we, we kind of look to the Bible for some things, but, but they wouldn't necessarily treat yeah. it as this unified revelation yeah. uh, coming from, from God. And so yeah. because of that, it makes it yeah. easier just to kind of dip in and say, well, it kind of looks like this author maybe thought this was okay at this time. And so yeah. that's a valid, quote unquote, biblical uh, perspective. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, yeah. I think a lot of this stems from people maybe not actually knowing how to handle even movement in Scripture from Old to New Testament. How do you articulate uh, some yeah. of the movement that's happening there? Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. to be able to put that within the context of the overarching biblical yeah. narrative. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, in a sense, uh, you know, it's not maybe the Old Testament is describing something that's happening in that culture at the time that God wants to address, but it's not necessarily prescriptive for all people at all times and certainly and for and for God's ideal of marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's that that descriptive prescriptive is yeah. is key because I think the and even the recognition that in some Old Testament laws there are regulations around polygamy yeah. and and so yeah. p- part of that even is this this question about well you, you know is everything in the Old Testament is this all you know God's ultimate ideal yeah, and so when you think about what what is the law, what's the law trying to do? How how is God using the law uh, yeah. to communicate who He is to His people, but also to meet them where they're at? Yeah, uh, that that this law doesn't you know it's not given in a vacuum. It's given to a particular people at a particular place and time, uh, and that even God's God's regulation of something yeah. uh, doesn't mean that this is God's ideal. I mean, yeah. I think the the yeah. Probably the main example of this is in Matthew 19, okay. when Jesus addresses marriage, yeah. uh, and you know there's a question about divorce. Well, the you know yeah. the law of Moses, a lot. How are you going to interpret the law of Moses on divorce? It allows for this, the yeah. certificate of divorce. Um, without diving too deep into that, you know, Jesus says that even the you know the law regulating divorce is not there because divorce is part of God's creational intention. Yeah. yeah. But he goes all the way back to creation and says, here here's God's intentions for creation. Yeah. Uh, and now, because of the hardness of your heart, there's a level of accommodation uh, that yeah. God makes for that in the law. Yeah. Uh, but now I'm coming, I am instituting new creation. Yeah. And so we're actually going back to the creational reality, uh, okay. God's creational intentions yeah. for marriage, not simply the accommodation that you see in the law, yeah. which is meant to put the brakes on human sin, yeah. uh, but doesn't ultimately remedy uh, yeah. human sin that's there. So yeah. so there's some nuance. I don't know, maybe you can... Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm sure you're the Old Testament guy, yeah. so you can speak to this yeah. probably in more articulate <clears throat> ways than uh, than I can. But I think this, uh, the nuance that happens when we begin to read yeah. Scripture as this overarching narrative from Genesis to Revelation, yeah. and, and not just to dip in and say, here's a verse here that seems to approve yeah. that, or here's a verse that says this, but to be yeah. able to put all those pieces within the overarching yeah. unfolding narrative of Scripture uh, and to be able to see those within that context, I think yeah. is really important on this yeah. topic. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And I think, you know, and one of the, you know, the principles of biblical interpretation, too, is to look for the moral principle uh, in the laws. Yeah. And, you know, so you look at those Old Testament laws where it does address polygamy and non-monogamous relationships. It happens. Uh, it's not necessarily, obviously, to support that relationship, but it you, you find that it, it values women. Yeah. It lifts up women and protects women. 
uh, which is certainly you know something that the Bible has all the way through. So I think that's a good thing to you know to say about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Speaking about you know so so Jesus brings the possibility of this new creation, uh, and maybe you know going back to Genesis one and two. So maybe maybe just maybe address you know th does the Bible have you know a consistent relational ethic? Uh, does is there a biblical ideal for sexuality and marriage? Yeah. that we can identify that sort of is an overarching ideal that runs all the way through scripture. Yeah. You know, and that was something we can say in a positive way. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think it's really important to be able to do that because my concern, you know, when I, when I think about the Bible and polyamory and monogamy, uh, especially for Christians who take the Bible seriously, uh, I want them to be equipped with, with understanding what the biblical view of yeah. monogamy actually is. Yeah. Because I think, you know, what I, if the last, a couple decades have shown anything it's I think that a lot of people uh, e even in very conservative if I can say it, yeah. that conservative Christian circles don't actually have a, a well yeah. thought out well articulated yeah. understanding of what the Bible right. teaches with respect to sexuality yeah. um, that for a lot of people it's a very legalistic kind of do this or don't do this yeah. without understanding how what is going on when scripture talks about our, our sexuality and marriage uh, that that is deeply connected to the overarching narrative of Scripture yeah. and of, of yeah. who God is as a as a covenant uh, making and covenant keeping God, yeah. and so so I do think that there is a consistent biblical ethic on yeah. monogamy, yeah. Uh, and I think th the key texts that speak to this Genesis one and two yeah. I think are are crucial right. because they lay the groundwork and, and again these texts are not just descriptive. Yeah. But these texts are prescriptive. They're yeah. saying here, here's God's intentions uh, for human life, for marriage, for sexuality, uh, and that you see here that this idea of uh, husband and wife, uh, one flesh union yeah. uh, of two sexually different people, uh, and that this is this is essential in how the biblical narrative thinks about uh, what marriage is, the covenant yeah. of marriage, uh, in terms of what it thinks about. Uh, sexuality, yeah. uh, how sexuality yeah. is connected to um, this covenant of marriage yeah. that, that I would argue, I don't know, I was thinking about this a little bit, I want yeah. to bounce this idea off you, see, yeah. see what you think about it, uh, but I, I think the biblical view of sexuality is that that sexual union is, this, is a covenantal act yeah. uh, between husband and wife, that it, it's actually I get that there's this sense that we're, what we're doing in sexual union is actually covenanting. We're actually yes. making this covenant yeah. with our bodies, yeah, uh, and that that is that is central to defining what marriage is, uh, and it's central to at least I think a, a big deal yeah. in Genesis one and two, which is life and the creation of life, yeah. that in and through, and so. The biblical narrative takes bodies very seriously. Yeah, takes male and female bodies very yeah. seriously. Takes sexual union very seriously because yeah. it is a, it's it's not just an expression of my love or an expression yeah. of my commitment, but yeah. sexual union is itself a yeah. covenantal act. Yeah, I yeah. know. Is that, is no, that that's good? Does that work? Yeah, that there's there there's more to sexual ethic than just commitment. Consent between agree, uh, you know, adults who that, that agree on things to do things together. There's more to it. Yeah, it's a reflection of this of this covenant uh, and a reflection of who God is, and we're sort of in our marriages in a way embodying, 
you know, God's commitment to us, you know, his relationship with us, uh, his mission to the world. Yeah. And as we as we engage in that as either, you know, single people or married people. Yeah. And, and reflecting that in our own lives and marriages and families. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think so then building on that, you see in Ephesians five. Yeah. Where Paul explicitly makes this connection and says, look, there's something about uh, this union of husband and wife. Yeah. Uh, he's very clear. It's, you know, this, yeah. it's singular. Yeah. Uh, it's not husband and wives uh, or wife and husbands. Yeah. Uh, but there, there's this there's this union uh, that happens that is a pointer to this deeper covenantal reality. Yeah. He actually says yeah. this is you know, this is a mystery that's actually yeah. woven into our biology and woven into human yeah. marriage is that it's taken up beyond yeah. itself and it points to the covenantal love of Christ for the church. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, again, this is a dimension of biblical sexual ethics that, that a lot of Christians even have lost is, is the sense that there's a transcendent referent point yeah. Uh, that yeah. that what we're doing is we are in in our marriages when when you have marriages that are committed that are loving that are faithful uh, that are monogamous in this way that yeah. that becomes this visible sign and symbol yeah. of God's covenantal love for us that that yeah. you know when I see uh, people who are uh, husband and wife who are committed not only to Jesus but who are deeply committed to each other there's a sense in which that's making visible. God's yeah. covenantal love and, and faithfulness. Yeah. Uh, and so I know, you know, when I use that language of sign and symbol, some Protestants get a little bit nervous because that yeah. starts to sound like kind of sacramental language. Yeah. But I think that's but that's the language that Paul is using in Ephesians five. Yeah. Is that it is I'm not myself calling it a sacrament, but I'm saying there's a similarity here that he's saying this is a visible, physical yeah. sign and symbol that is a pointer yeah. uh, to the gospel and the reality of the gospel. Uh, and and so what you see all throughout the Old Testament and the New yeah. Testament then as well is this idea of God as the faithful covenant partner. God is the faithful yeah. spouse yeah. Uh, to his people. Uh, that, again, the ideal of, of monogamy is not just a human invention, yeah. but that it actually goes to how we are made in God's image yeah. that, that actually says something deep about our monogamous faithful yeah. covenant keeping God yeah uh, and so this is this is why I think when you go to Matthew 19 and Jesus is talking about mm -hmm. divorce why divorce uh, and why Malachi says God hates divorce yeah because part of what uh, divorce does is it it, it it obscures and it undermines this reality that, yeah. that I would say that this is part of why um, you know children of divorce, are at are a disadvantage for understanding yeah. God's love yeah. because because it makes it harder when, when you see that that this thing that's meant to put God's covenant love on display and instead what you see is unfaithfulness you yeah. you see human brokenness yeah um, it, it it makes it harder and yeah. so Jesus says in Matthew 19 this is why the two and, and this it should be clear yeah. it's it's two it's two yeah the, the two become one flesh uh, and that that is uh, central to understanding marriage. Uh, now, now somebody might say, and, and in fact, a couple, a couple people raise this question. Well, what about First Corinthians six? Yeah. There, Paul says he, he's talking to, especially to the men in the congregation of the church of Corinth, uh, and he essentially says, "Don't sleep with prostitutes." Why? Yeah. 
because that's one flesh union. Uh, you, you're not to become one flesh with them. And so, yeah. and so some folks have looked at that and says, well, look, um, Paul is saying it's possible to have a one flesh union with, with more than one person. Yeah. So, so maybe that opens the door for polyamory again. Uh, but again, I think what you have to see is Paul is clearly speaking about this as a negative thing. Yeah. He, he's not saying, uh, you know, go pursue multiple one flesh relationships. Yeah. I think what he's getting at there is this this covenantal idea of sexual union. Yeah. That to 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 have sex with somebody is to is to enter into this marital relationship with yeah. them. It's it's a marital act. Yeah. And and his point is. You can't do that. That's not, you know, that, that this is something that is to be reserved for your wife alone. Yeah. Um, not something that you can simply go out and have multiple one flesh relationships. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, I think there, as with the examples of um, polygamy in the Old Testament, you have an example of somebody doing Yes, it is possible, yeah. Yeah. but it's not what Scripture is affirming. It's yeah. not what Scripture is saying, oh, yeah, pursue yeah. that. Yeah. And it's not what Scripture intends right. for our relationships, our marriages, our families, and and so on. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that when so for me the 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 big picture, I guess the the, the place to um, the place to really dig into is to recognize that as the narrative of Scripture unfolds, what you see is God's intention in creation is yeah. monogamy. Yeah. This this relationship between husband and wife. In new creation, in, in redemption, when yeah. Jesus comes, uh, he says, I am, in effect, um, I am restoring God's creational yeah. intentions for marriage. Yeah. Uh, th that's what's going on in Matthew 19. Yeah. Uh, to the point that even his disciples, you know, when he says, this, these are my high standards for marriage, yeah. uh, the disciples are, are like, well, it's better to be single then. You know, yeah. better, yeah. better not to get married <laughs> yeah. if that's your vision of marriage. And so... I think it's important to to understand that the that the Christian vision of marriage, the Christian vision of monogamy, uh, is not just follow your heart, find somebody who, yeah. you know, you're you're compatible with, yeah. kind of you know find find somebody who you know is really going to fulfill you, yeah. uh, but that the biblical vision of of marriage is that it really does put on the supernatural yeah. uh, love and grace of God. That, that I think that's what Jesus is saying yeah. is without without the power of God, without the power of the Holy Spirit equipping us yeah, as Christians, marriage is impossible. Yeah. And by the way, so is singleness. Yeah. But they're both they're both impossible. Well, all it, of life it, is impossible right, right. Without, yeah. without that. Yeah. And, and so to 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 see that as the biblical view of marriage, as the call yeah. of you know, why is why is the Bible so insistent on monogamy? Because it puts on display the the love and the faithfulness of God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so it's not just about keeping these rules, right? Which is how yeah. Christians have often approached sex and sexuality. Yeah. Keep these rules. Do this. Do that. That in fact, what's going on here is that that we're actually called to embody the gospel yeah. uh, in our marriages. Embody yeah. the gospel in our singleness. Yeah. That what we're doing here is we're we're putting on display who God is, so that people will look yeah. at us and not just say. Well, they, they have a nice marriage, or they yeah. seem happy, but but they look at us and say, that kind of life is not possible without yeah. some kind of supernatural yeah. uh, empowerment. Right? Yeah. It's pointing to something beyond ourselves. It's pointing. It's pointing yeah. to God. I think that's good. I think yeah, we need to 
maybe just you know just point people to God, point people to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and the mission that God has given us as human beings. So uh, maybe just maybe to end on this, yeah, maybe just sort of a pastoral word uh, for those people who are pastors or youth pastors or in ministry who are going to engage in these conversations with people yeah. who are very interested. How, so how would you suggest that maybe you know, we do that? You know, how do we interact with people who uh, have questions about polyamory, even polygamy, even same-sex marriage, yeah. and say, well, is it, is it possible to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and, and be in these relationships? Or, so how would we approach and interact yeah. in that conversation as, as pastors? Yeah, yeah, I think, so for me, it's key to recognize that in all this discussion, uh, that when you're engaging people, to engage yeah. people, not issues, not yeah. topics. Yeah. That if you're going to engage people, you have to be willing to sit, to listen. Um, you know, one thing I see a lot with with parents, uh, with folks in churches, yeah. our anxiety level goes up a lot when we're yeah. talking about these yeah. these issues, these yeah. topics. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, rather than trying to first get people on the right side how do you just sit and listen listen to where somebody's at mm -hmm. hear their heart hear where they're coming yeah. from and be willing to uh, build relationships yeah. you know I think this is again I know this is true in my life yeah. if somebody doesn't have relational currency yeah with me I'm probably not gonna listen to them just yeah. spouting out truth even if it is true I'm not gonna yeah. be able to hear it very well yeah. if I'm not actually connected with them mm -hmm. if, if I don't know that they really care about me yeah. uh, as a person, yeah. not just as a not just as a project or, or, yeah. or somebody to fix. Um, and and I also think we have to recognize that God works in His own ways and He's on His own timeline. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of times, especially when it comes to matters of, of sexuality, yeah. you know, we, we sort of want a kind of overnight change or overnight transformation. Yeah. Rather than realizing, you know, God is often on a much longer timeline than we yeah. are. I mean, I think about even, you know, somebody like Augustine, who yeah. spends much of his early life in what he would, you know, what we would say is, well, it's not a, it's not really a marriage relationship. It's, yeah. and so there's this struggle, um, struggle there, but recognizing that God is at work, yeah. uh, and uh, just keep praying, yeah. and just keep engaging, yeah. um, just ha have a posture of. Um, walking with people. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's what discipleship that's is yeah. across the board. It's you know you're walking with yeah. people, and so the goal is not to just give them a bunch of books on this or yeah. spout all the yeah. biblical <laughs> truth you possibly can. Yeah. Um, but to sit with people, listen to where they're at, and really hear where their where their heart is at, uh, yeah. and what it is that they're looking for, what it is yeah. that they're that they're longing for. Yeah. Because uh, I think again, it comes back to recognizing uh, that our deepest longing is really for something that only yeah. only Jesus can provide. Yeah. And so, how do we how do we understand that, and how do we direct people yeah. there, yeah. Uh, and to make sure we're directing them there first, right? That the the solution is not adopt this biblical view of sexuality, and then yeah, everything's going to be, be okay. It's recognize who Jesus is for yeah. you, and because any kind of transformation has to flow from from that kind of gospel centered yeah. focus. Yeah, I think that's great. That's that's great pastoral advice. I think we need to do a lot more listening, forming relationships with people, uh, allowing God to work in His own time, in His own way, and really, in the end, you know, just point people 
to Jesus. Yeah. Who is the life giver and the power of his spirit and just allow Jesus to work in their life in a good way. Yeah. That's great That's advice. That's good. Yeah. Good. Well, good. Well, it's a good conversation. I suppose we could keep going. It's a huge topic. That's right. But we got started. That's right. Uh, and uh, again, just referring to the article that Branson wrote uh, at the Center for Faith, that's a good place to go, and you can read more of this. Uh, and, uh, you know, we just keep the conversation going on a very important topic uh, for the church and the Christian community. So thanks, Branson. Yeah, thank uh, you. Appreciate the time. And yeah, until next time. All right. All right. We'll see you then. Thank you.